Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we use intersectional feminism, mindfulness, leadership, and strategy to support smart women to change the world without anxiety, insecurity, and burnout. On the show, we challenge the status quo and support you to unlearn harmful messages that keep you playing small so you can activate your superpowers and live with joy, confidence, and ease. I'm your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hello, hello, Well Women. Welcome back to the show. I'm Giovanna Rossi, your host, and on the Well Woman Show today, I interview Danielle Slupeski. She's a certified end-of-life coach and death doula, and she takes a non-judgmental, heart-centered approach to working with those who are thinking about preparing for and nearing the end of their lives. But really what makes her so interesting and, and sets her apart is that she offers non-medical, practical, emotional, spiritual, and physical support to the dying as well as to the caregivers and loved ones. And through public education and community engagement, her goal is to normalize conversations surrounding death, grief, and loss. So we're going to talk a lot more about this on the show today. As always, all the links and information are at wellwomanlife.com slash radio. The Well Woman Show is thankful for support from the Well Woman Academy at wellwomanlife.com slash academy. Join us in the academy for community mindfulness practices and strategy to live your well woman life. Now to my interview with Danielle Slupeski. I'm speaking today with Danielle Slupeski. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. I'm so excited that you're here. Now, for listeners who might be wondering about the topic today, I actually met Danielle. You know what? The first thing was that I would see your car driving around town (laughs) with your sign on the door. And as you heard in the introduction, Danielle is a certified death doula and end of life coach. So when I I would see this around town and I thought, oh, that's so interesting. And then I met you later at a training. And so I thought, okay, this is definitely something I need to, to talk about on the show because death is really the only sure thing in life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, For a long time, I said that there were only two experiences that were guaranteed to happen to every human and that's that we're born and that we all die. And someone called me out on it and they were like, no, a lot of humans die in utero, not even birth. And I'm like, wow, you're right. It's the only experience that we will all go through. Mm, That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, Danielle, I want to get into this and we're going to talk a lot about what it means to be a death doula and who needs an end of life coach and all of these questions. But I would love to start with having you tell listeners, who are you in the world today? I am, I think, first and foremost, a wife, a plant mom, a dog mom, a daughter, a sister, a niece, an auntie, all of those things that I am to other people, right? That's usually how we we define Mm -hmm. our roles. And to me, I'm finally, and I think this is, I think a lot of women can identify with this as hitting your forties and finally, like, I'm finally me. And I don't even know what labels to put on that, what role to give that, but I'm finally stepping into who and what I am and was always meant to be. And it's a really beautiful place to be. Oh, yes. Now, did finding that have anything to do with becoming a death doula? Absolutely. Tons. So I used to be a nurse 
I was an emergency room nurse. Um, and about 10 years ago, I got really ill and spent a long time in the hospital and had some really traumatic experiences surrounding all of that, including some near-death experience. And it changed everything for me. And I was in resistance surrounding all of it for a long time. And it was about five years ago that it was really clear to me that I was not kind of following through with the mission, if you will, of what I came back with. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to help people die. I didn't know that death doulas were a thing. And I I was speaking with my husband and said, you know, I want to be like a life coach, but like a death coach. (laughs) And so I Googled death coach and the Conscious Dying Institute popped up and there was their end of life coach and death doula program. And it was instant, instant for me that that was exactly what I needed to be doing. Mm. I just didn't have a name to place to it. Again, I didn't have the label for it. So yeah, stepping into that role and recognizing that it has allowed me to use all of my past experience, all of my past traumas if and good, bad experiences, all of them and put them to use with helping other people. Well, that is a gift. I mean, to be able to say that, that you, that you're at that place, you know, to take all of your experiences and all of who you are and then offer a service to other people. So Danielle, you did mention some near death experiences, but did you have other experiences with death that have, you know, impacted or influenced your fascination, I want to say, with death? Yeah, several. So, and lots of different types of death. So when I was 11, um, my biological father and, and grandfather were murdered together. And then when I was 16, my maternal grandfather died of cancer. So I got to experience the difference between very sudden, very traumatic, you know, violent death and how that affects family and, you know, especially as an 11 year old. And I was a really observant kid. So I watched the adults a lot and saw the differences and how they responded to each of these, Mm. you know, types of death. Then I very, I mean, as soon as I was 18, I took an EMT course and I started working in the medical field and I've always been in emergency medicine. So I've had lots of professional experiences surrounding death, but also several big ones in my own life. Recognizing the difference between when a death is well-supported versus when it is not and how that changes the course of the grief process that those left behind go through. Like I, mm-hmm. I was very observant of all of that. And so I want to be part of helping support that that time. It's a really tender, special time. And with proper support, it can go much differently than a lot of our past death experiences. Yeah, definitely. So what does it mean to have a well-supported death experience versus a not well-supported death experience. And and let me just say, you know, for listeners out there, this is a really tough topic for, for most people in, in this culture to talk about. And I think that it's not talked about enough and we're not really given tools or space to have these conversations. So we're having that conversation now. <laughs> and thank you for it. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about it because yeah, it's it's a bit challenging at times, right? To be that person that's like always wanting to bring up the topic that no one else wants to talk about in the room. But I do find that when once we offer the space and we give people permission to have these conversations, I found people are really hungry for it. Mm. We've all experienced death in some capacity. If we've been fortunate enough to not lose a close loved one, we've likely lost a pet or we've experienced the collective grief of COVID, right? Nobody got through COVID without feeling 
loss. It's universal. And so if we can kind of take some of the stigma and taboo away from just offering space to the conversations, I think it can really change a lot. So thank you for offering us all the opportunity today to ponder this because we will walk away from this conversation differently. You know, everyone listening today, just bringing these ideas and awarenesses into the forefront of your mind, you know, you're going to go home and hug your kids a little differently tonight. Mm. You know, you might offer your spouse a little more compassion when they don't load the dishwasher properly, you know, because someday (laughs) the dishwasher is going to be loaded perfectly every day, you know, and you'll miss that. And so it's bringing these things to the forefront so that we can be more present in our everyday lives. Okay. So you're saying that it's worth talking about death because it actually improves our quality of life. 100%. Yes. Many of us put off things, you know, I can do that tomorrow. I can have that conversation tomorrow. I can reconcile that relationship later. You know, people in our lives pop into our heads all the time and we don't have time to pick up the phone. So we don't. And then before you know it, all of a sudden you see on Facebook, someone's gotten in a car accident and they're gone. And those five times they popped into your head in the last month, maybe that was really important and significant and you could have made the time, you know, or there are things that we put off our own goals and dreams, you know, oh, I'll do that once the kids are out of the house. I'll do that after we're done paying for college, whatever it is, that time may not come, right? Take advantage of every second you have while you're here. I was 30 when I, I went through my whole big hospital thing. <laughs> And uh, it was very unexpected. You know, I did not expect to be in an ICU intubated on life support at 30. And yet it happened. And so it totally changed my perspective on putting things off. Mm -hmm. So if we can bring our mortality to the forefront of our minds and to have these conversations surrounding our wants, needs, and desires for our own eventual death, we start to kind of live a more aware, conscious life in that process. I love that. And what about for people who really have a fear of death, though, so that actually having a conversation creates more anxiety, possibly, and less of a desire to live a higher quality of life now, but more of a desire to put off anything, you know, to do with death or grief? Yeah, that's, it's a really important thing to bring up is the fear. And so often fear arises from a lack of knowledge and a lack of experience. When we don't know something or understand something, our human mind likes to fill in the blanks. And very often what we fill in the blanks with is far worse or far scarier than what the reality of a situation could be. And so I, I always liken preparing for our own death to preparing a birth plan, right? There's many similarities between birth and death. Just the act of writing and researching and figuring out what all of your options are for a birth plan is empowering. And that that mother, that family, that couple is going to go into the experience of birth more empowered and aware than if they hadn't written the plan. Now, everything could go wrong and you end up having an emergency C-section right? But you still went into that experience with more knowledge and awareness and likely less fear than if you hadn't have done all of that work. Yeah. And death is very much the same. Okay. So let's go with that and, and tell listeners, like, what is that process in terms of planning your own death? I like to kind of distinguish between end of life coaching and death doula work. 
I kind of consider the death doula to be the both vigil time, which is somewhere around the last 72 hours of a person's life. And the, the lead up to that with someone who has received a life-limiting diagnosis, right? They, they know that they are dying sooner rather than later. The end-of-life coaching process, while many of the elements also take place with that quote-unquote terminal patient, that process, the end-of-life coaching can happen with anyone at any age, at any health status. Right now with you, Giovanna, we'd sit down and walk through a guided meditation where you receive a life-limiting diagnosis and you will die within three months. So right now, you know, you may or may not see New Year's. And when we put a, a specific time, an expiration date, if you will, and we get you into that head and heart space, we then dive into really deep questions in five different domains of life. So mental, which is like your life legacy, what you leave behind. And this is where we can come up with some really fun, creative legacy projects. Uh, spiritual. So it's like your spiritual and religious beliefs. We dive into, this is a lot of time where some fear comes from too, is because people aren't sure what they believe. They're not sure mm -hmm. where they think they're going to go. And so just offering space to have those conversations and questions and for someone to normalize that it's okay to have those questions and to not know exactly what you believe. Mm. Physical, which your physical environment, you know, most people would say that they want to die at home in their beds asleep. And yet two thirds of us die in facilities. You know, a lot of us die in ICUs surrounded by medical equipment and alarms and beeping. And that likely wasn't what that person would have wanted had they made different plans ahead of time. And say someone is home and they're planning their vigil time. I like to get really granular with it and involve all five senses, right? What, what are you seeing? What flowers are in the room? What smells? You know, what music is playing? Is somebody reading you specific scriptures or from a specific poem book? You know, really diving into exactly what you want that time and space to look and feel like. Are we physical, spiritual, mental, emotional? So mm -hmm. emotional is like our relationships to other people. Are there relationships that you need to reconcile or nurture before you go? And if so, and you would do it if you knew you had three months left, let's go ahead and do it now. And I think that's everybody. We dive into all of these things and that helps us distill this ideal death vision. And then we figure out where we are starting and what steps we need to take to get there. Oh, I left out practical. Sorry. Practical is like your pre and post death plans. Everything from wills and trusts and estate planning to what kind of services you want afterwards. If you want to do some sort of a living memorial while you're still here, that's getting way more popular now so people can attend their own funerals. To what you want to happen to your body immediately after you die. I've, I've worked with many clients where I help the family wash the body and redress them. And, you know, we can add some lovely essential oils to the water. And it's a beautiful time for family to have closure and say goodbye and give thanks to this body that has done so much for so long. And then the death doula side, I can come into the picture at really at any stage. And I've done it everywhere from as soon as someone has been diagnosed, helping them figure out what their options are, helping them do the medical research and navigate the medical system to being called into an ICU to help withdraw life support from a, a husband and father who had had a massive heart attack. And even in an ICU, even in a really medicalized environment, we were able to bring in sacredness and beauty and, and ritual. 
So let's not just sit there all in kind of in our own isolation and grief. Let's do it together and bring beauty back into that that space. Yeah. Well, I think that you bring up a good point, which is that uh, a lot of it's hard for people to talk about grief. And a lot of people think that they need to just grieve alone because otherwise they'll depress other people or something. And I love the idea of celebrating people who have died, right? Like by telling stories. And, you know, I don't find that depressing. I find that like connecting. So what do you say to folks who might really have be struggling to grieve their loved ones, especially like you said, around the holidays? It's always hard, right? Because there's, there's nothing that someone can say to make it all right. You know, very often it's finding ways of memorializing our loved ones, bringing them into our daily lives and our traditions and not recognizing that we're continuing a relationship with them, but that relationship had to change form. And I think doing that in community with our families, with our loved ones and our friends is as a really important, allowing grief to isolate you. And for lack of a better word, it's congeal and get cold around your heart can be really scary and really damaging. And Mm. doing it together, I think makes all the difference because we recognize that we're all feeling the same way. We're not alone in this. You know, we each have to walk our grief path alone, but we can do it together. Yes. Okay. Well, that's a great place to take a quick break. I'm speaking with Danielle Slupeski, who is a uh, death doula and end of life coach. And we're talking about all things death on the Well Woman Show. I'm Giovanna Rossi, and we will be right back. For 25 years, I've been working in social justice and systems change because when women and girls thrive, families thrive, and whole communities thrive. What I realized through my work was that there are systems at play that work to keep women leaders functioning at half their capacity because of overwork, overwhelm, and burnout. The very nature of our linear strategic systems of power that have worked so well for so many high-achieving women are the exact reason we're crashing and burning at such high rates. So we end up with highly capable women leaders who are unable to realize their potential, whether it's in their health, their relationships, career, prosperity, or social impact. I'm Giovanna Rossi, host of The Well Woman Show on NPR. And what I do is work with high achieving women leaders who feel stuck in their careers, overwhelmed by trying to do it all, facing a health crisis or unhappy in their relationships so that they can finally enjoy life again, be the leader they know they can be and make the impact they're here to make with their families and communities. It's my mission to use a feminist lens and the Well Woman Life framework to challenge the status quo and dismantle systems that work to maintain unequal power so that all women can thrive as leaders in their communities and families. Get started on your Well Woman leadership journey by applying for the group program at wellwomanlife.com slash academy. We're back on the show with Danielle Slupeski. And Danielle, we're going into a segment called Superpowers for Success, where listeners really get to know you as an innovator, as a leader. So Danielle, what does success in life mean for you? For me, it has nothing to do with finances. For me, it's very much, how have I made people feel? Have I reflected to others who and what they truly are. And so when I have those moments with people where I can recognize that they are seeing and feeling their own value and worth 
and power, that is success. Those Mm. are the moments I strive for every day. Nice. Okay. And when did you know you were really good at what you do? I think that that helping my grandfather transition was kind of the be- the beginning. I was okay with it. I was it was never scary. It was accepted that it was just part of how things go. And so I'm not sure when I knew that I was good at it, but I recognize that I've always been comfortable and I think that's maybe 90% of the mm. the job is being someone in the room that's completely comfortable with holding space for all of the emotions that bubble up and all of the things that happen. That's a really good point because I think that is one of the things that's so difficult. Everybody feels uncomfortable because there's just, it's just so difficult. So having someone in the room who's completely comfortable with everything must be very reassuring. What is one personal habit that you have that contributes to your well-being so that you can be and do everything that you do for other people? as I started doing more of this work, I recognized that I needed a practice to allow me to to set it down, to not take it to bed was big for me. And so what I mean by that is as I'm laying in bed every night, falling asleep, I will literally run through a, a mental list of everyone that I've really connected with that day. And I'll send them a quick kind of meta prayer, you know, maybe happy, healthy, well, something quick about their situation. And then I picture that I put my hand out and they're holding a puzzle piece and they give me the puzzle piece and I put it back in my chest. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I'm done with my list, I have put my, my chest, my heart back together. I've given all I can for the day. I send them with the best, with love and good intentions, but you're not welcome into my dream space. Did you come up with that yourself? Like intuitively you needed that or did you learn that somewhere? It was an intuitive kind of thing where I knew I needed to do something. This needed something different and I didn't know how to go about it, but the puzzle pieces for me are a big thing. I love it. Okay. And what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? I'm going to say extreme empathy. And by extreme, I mean, for many years, I I thought that it was a weak point, right? It was like an Achilles heel for me that I felt, quote unquote, too much. I was, quote unquote, too sensitive. And now that I've developed practices such as my puzzle pieces, my empathy is my superpower. It's It's exactly how I work how I can feel when it's time to push a little bit with someone and when it's time to back off, Mm -hmm. when it's time to just allow space in the room, you know, when it's time to, to lean in and, and offer some sort of an intervention. Yeah. I love it because, uh, and I, I talk about this a lot in the well woman community, which is that our superpower can usually be the thing that we have perceived or other people have told us is our weakness. Great. Okay. Couple last questions while we wrap this up. What advice would you give your younger self, say uh, 15, 20 years ago? I was walking around with a whole lot of, I am not enough swirling around in Mm. every form it could take. Right. And it led to not only maladaptive coping mechanisms, but like extreme perfectionism and uh, it, yeah. Yeah. I would literally just give myself a huge hug and be like, honey, you're more than enough, more than enough. I love that. Okay. And how does your work impact women differently? And do you identify as a feminist? You know, I, to be completely honest, I don't identify as an ist of any sort. I'm, I'm really not big on labels. I'm big on, if I'm an ist of anything, I'm a humanist. Mm-hmm. And I think that we all need to take care of each other, male, female, 
non-binary, everything in between. But I do think that the, the work impacts women differently. I think it hits women in a different place. Women tend to be the caregivers in situations. And so very often I find that I am hired by the primary caretaker or a friend or loved one of the primary caretaker to offer them more support. Yeah. And so I end up being much more supportive often to the women of the family because a lot of the caretaking tends to fall to them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Last question. What are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? (laughs) There's a stack actually of books to be read, but what I'm diving into on a daily right now is Mark Nepo's or Nepo's. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but the book of awakening. It's about all I can get in at the moment on the daily is the little snippets of like daily stories and and affirmations and meditations that he's got in there. Mm. And then I also must admit, I am extremely fortunate. Shout out to my husband. Every night in bed, he is reading me Wayne Dyer's Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life, which is his examination Mm. of the Tao Te Ching. And so every night we read a verse. And when I say we, I mean, he reads aloud to me in bed. So it's pretty awesome. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Okay. Um, Great. Well, we'll link to both of those books in the show notes because listeners love to know what our guests are reading, what's impacting your life. We'll also link to Danielle and her work in the show notes for this show. So don't miss that. And Danielle, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Oh, this was so much fun. Thank you. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your well woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com. As a reminder, we are on NPR every week. So be sure to tune in at npr.org slash podcasts and search for The Well Woman Show. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment and subscribe and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.